welcome to the world's greatest Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I'm your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell, and today we're going to be taking a look at a couple of episodes from the 1994 animated series, Spider-Man. Yes, and we are joined by G.I. Jolie. <laughs> and that's me Lots of yes last week we did announce that Jolie's niece Abby would be on but unfortunately through scheduling conflicts she is not available this week she had a very important meeting yeah unfortunately yeah. she's very <laughs> business popular meeting. person yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also Bex Luthor could not be with us she also had a very important meeting to attend to Yes. For unrelated, so. unrelated meetings. But a different a meeting. meeting. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, okay, so yeah, I guess, I, uh, so we're reviewing three episodes from season three, right? Right, yeah, episodes four, five, and six. Right, and Josh, um, you're going to tell us what happened in the first one. Yeah, so Enter the Green Goblin, we kind of get a bit of an origin story of the Green Goblin. Um, throughout the series, we do know who Norman and Harry Osborn are. Uh, but to quickly recap, um, there's like a board of directors that makes a bunch of decisions, very important people uh, at Oscorp. And um, the Kingpin kind of see- is part of this board of directors. So he, he kind of like seems like he is like pulling the strings in the background and he's got his own um, uh, little plan going on but an accident happens at Oscorp that um, causes some of the facilities to blow up and uh, Norman Osborne is trapped inside and um, presumably dies uh, Harry is kind of like vengeful his son uh, about the whole situation and kind of wants revenge Peter Parker, who was at the uh, the accident, couldn't save him. And then slowly throughout the episode, um, people from the board of directors start disappearing as this new goblin shows up, the Green Goblin, uh, because in this universe, Hobgoblin came first. So Hobgoblin has already been like established and flying around on the glider <laughs> right. with like the Oscorp technology. So uh, it's kind of taken everybody surpri- by surprise that this new version of a goblin is uh, flying around New York. So um, one by one, the board of directors are kidnapped um, and uh, Felicia Hardy also gets wrapped up into this because her mother is part of the board of directors. So like while she's trying to investigate what's going on, she gets kidnapped and put into like this underground sewer goblin lair. Um the uh, Spider-Man ends up tracking them down into the sewer and uh, kind of defeats the Green Goblin. It turns out that um, it turns out that it wasn't Harry that was taking them. It was Norman who had survived the explosion. And in the explosion, there's like all of this gas that both mutated Norman and the Hobgoblin suit that was locked away in the Oscorp facilities. Um, and it gave him like super strength. Like it's weird. They, they say that the fumes transformed him, but then they also say that he's using like body enhancing armor. So right. it's kind of like both, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, uh, the, Underground layer also starts exploding after Kingpin decides to trap Spider-Man and Green Goblin inside while they're fighting each other. Um, and uh, uh, 
Peter is able to save both Harry and Norman um, as they're escaping. Uh, he lies to Harry and says that he defeated Green Goblin as Norman Osborn comes to and he's like back to normal and he doesn't remember anything or presumably back to normal. And that's pretty much where things end. Um, I don't think I'm missing anything. Yeah, there's, there's no like pages to flip through. So I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm missing something important, but um, yeah, it's it's actually strangely similar to the Hobgoblin uh, origins that we were reading with like the board of directors and how he's kind of like tied in with like the corporate side of things and he wants revenge on them and Kingpin for kind of screwing him over. So yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's weird. What do you what do you guys think about them kind of like reversing uh, uh, who came first for the goblins? Well, I'll just say quickly, it's backward to me. It's backward. It's like mm -hmm. it's like in DC when they try to make Batman come before Superman. Like it's to me, it's counterintuitive. Like Green Goblin's got to be first. However, they did what they did, and I can forgive it. Mm. I think this episode was really good. I liked everything about it except maybe one thing. But Jolie, I'll let you answer Josh's question. Um, I didn't realize that that is what they were doing. So it was confusing, <laughs> I guess, would be my short, long answer. Cause, because I didn't know what was happening. Like that they had intentionally switched or mm. flipped the origins for who came first. Um. You know what? Uh, okay, I gotta think about this. So it's like his dad is wait, his dad's the hobgoblin. Wait, the green goblin. Yeah, his dad is the green goblin. Hobgoblin is, I think, it Roderick Kingsley even in in the show. Yeah, I don't in even the know. Show. Who it is. I can't is remember. It? Okay. Yeah, I can't uh, remember. It, it, it changes the Harry Norman dynamic and then the Harry Peter dynamic. Mm -hmm. It makes it different from the comic, I think. And Harry hates Peter. Oh, sorry. Harry hates <sighs> Peter in the movies. <laughs> right, yeah. Confusing all three universes. Um, I, I think in the comics, he still hates Spider-Man. Oh. If I'm remembering correctly, like he has some sort of vengeance against him. And it seems like that it might be the case in this one if something were to ever happen to Green Goblin just because he already knows that like the three of them are involved together yeah I think it just changes yeah so if there isn't anything super detrimental that like sticks out to me just that it changes people's relationships with each other just a tiny bit mm. mm -hmm. well it. okay I'll, and also I just want to say I love the stuff with the board of directors. In fact, mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much of this cartoon might have influenced the movies mm -hmm. because I didn't realize until our last review of the cartoon that this cartoon version of Blade is what directly influenced the movie version of Blade. I had no idea. So yeah. now that I'm, yeah. So now Same that I'm with watching the Venom origin as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, now that I'm the... watching this episode, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you, you see, um, Eddie Brock at the church when the Venom symbiote uh, falls onto uh, onto okay. him after like in in the church when uh, Peter gets rid of it and that's how um, that's how it happens in Spider-Man 3 as well. See I didn't realize that and now that I'm watching yeah. this one I, when I see the board of directors and I mean 
I, I've read m- many of the Stanley uh, Spider-Mans, but not all of them. But I'm going to assume that that little turn of events was probably from the cartoon, right? Yeah. The board of directors turning against him and he him getting pissed off and him wanting revenge. I'm assuming that's all from the cartoon, but maybe some other Spidey experts out there can correct us. But I think it's like somewhat, uh, but it feels mm-hmm. like it's taking more from the Hobgoblin to me. Maybe it's just because we just read it and it's so okay. fresh in my mind. Um, right. But yeah, I that's why I think this show was so successful in its storytelling because it almost acted like a script doctor for right. all of the comics. Like it's able right. to take what happened and fix all of the issues that everybody had with it. Right. Um, and make it all cohesive. Yeah. 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 I, and everything kind of flows in and it's, it's all mapped out because it already happened in the comics and they can kind of like reactively fix the the problems and, and make sure that they connect smoothly right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i you know okay so i have a question then mm-hmm. for talking about like continuity comparisons so the hardy foundation which felicia's mother anastasia is part of funds dr octopus cool so does that mean because we see felicia um at the end because she kind of ha- gets shoehorned in because her mom's involved. So mm-hmm. she's not Black Cat yet? Not yet. No. Okay. Cool. Also, good mm-hmm. to know. Also, <laughs> it was kind of, they, they kind of look the same. So, like, all the board of directors is all tied up in the basement apartment of the Hobgoblin. I mean, the Green Goblin. It's kind of funny. I just, yeah, I, the visual of it was really funny, but also the, the visual of the Green Goblin. Um, why did he have a statue of Blind Justice in his? Oh, that it was layer? Wizard his face. Dramatic. That was bad. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> that was be... so over dramatic. Yeah. Okay, because like yeah, I, he lives for the drama that this Green Goblin for sure. I scream laughed when I saw that. Like what? <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> it's so I, stupid. I will say I love it. the animation mm-hmm. in particularly this first episode was so good. It's mm-hmm. it's better than I think any of the episodes we've watched so far. Especially better than um, the Blade ones. Mm-hmm. Yes, with Morbius yes. and Blade, those ones were so like very. 80s like uh, you know 80s 90s choppy yeah. uh, low budget animation this one really felt like they took their time to animate it they had their best animators um, it was probably done in studio here as well and not um, outsourced um, I also actually have uh, both this and the episode we're going to be talking about in a few minutes with the framed with Daredevil um, I have a I have DVD copies of a few of these story arcs that they package together as a movie. Really? So they would nice. like take all of like the Green Goblin stories and edit uh-huh. them together to be one single movie. Nice. Wow. So I had that one and the Daredevil one. It was a Spider-Man <laughs> versus Daredevil uh, DVD. Um, and it it's clear. And I, I wonder if they had that in mind, if they were going to like package them together. Um, and they made sure that those ones were done at specific studios because um 
because they're kind of like packaged together as like a film. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can say that when we when we when we reviewed a few uh, episodes from season two, I was getting worried. I was starting to lose faith because I was like, mm. oh no, maybe season one was the only good one. But these this batch of episodes we're talking about are all great. Yeah, like the animation's great, the writing is great, everything works in these ones. Almost everything works for me. Yeah, like the the pacing. Oh, let's talk about the designs. Um, well, okay, there's more in the second episode, but I feel like um a lot of the characters got upgrades. Like um Doctor Octopus got an upgrade. Um, I'm trying to think mm. of some other ones that come to mind. I can't think of anyone with Doctor Scorpion. Octopus scorpion yeah and he's got like look, a mechanical right like, and blaster tail and they all look great like mm-hmm. in, a, in a completely different style than batman batman the animated series went more like uh, f- uh film noir and art deco or whatever or, or even german expressionism but this show was just more like no screw it we're just gonna go ultra modern make everything look yeah kind of cool and a little bit manga-esque a little bit but i just love it all like throw tradition out mm. the window and just give them new designs i love it it's great yeah it it really feels like uh the vision of the future from the 90s like it's right. it's very it's very like futuristic of its time yeah um and even today i think it still fits because it just feels like a style almost like how the incredibles uh movies were like futuristic 60s like the vision yes. of what the future would be like in the 60s this really does feel like uh that for the 90s and it right i i think that tone totally fits today i love the um the blasters like they, they don't have like guns they've got like futuristic yes. laser blasters in this one yep. um all of the tech is like that kind of like big chunky mechanical look to it uh green even green goblins glider in this is so freaking huge like he's got this little mini one that docks into this huge like maybe like 15 foot 20 foot wide glider right yeah yeah so great yeah yep oh it almost (laughs) i'm sure some of that too is like oh we got this cool green goblin toy we gotta sell make sure you add that but i don't know it's it kind of adds to that like 90s charm uh yeah I like but, a little glider that you can talk into a big glider. It's yeah. like having like a little a little purse and a big purse. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, now here's the one thing. There's one thing I didn't like about this episode, and that was Green Goblin's voice. Yeah. I hated I, his voice. I, I don't think it... I kind of noted that too. I don't think I hated it. Uh-huh. But when you compare it to both Willem Dafoe, yeah, uh, and how iconic that was, and Mark Hamill as the Hobgoblin earlier in this uh, show, right? It's it really does fall flat. I think that they had the uh, voice actor for Norman Osborn cast already, and he had right. been showing up throughout. So when it was time for him to turn into the Green Goblin, I feel like. Maybe he just wasn't, he didn't have like that energy to bring to the Green Goblin. It would have been maybe even better if they just completely had a different voice actor for the Green Goblin line and still had the Norman Osborn voice actor. Um, Why didn't they figure that out before? 
Yeah. They cast him, but anyway. Yeah. Sorry, Jolie, what were you going to say? So, apparently, we should be, at least Michael should be, familiar with this gentleman's voice. He's somebody named Neil Ross. And he oh, voiced... Oh, you mean the voice of... Is it Dusty Duke and Judge? Okay. No. Is he okay. Duke as well? No, he's not. No, but I know, I, I noticed that, yeah. Let me just see here. Neil Ross, yes. Yeah, so he's so Dusty he... and Shipwreck. As well as four Transformers. Mm. So he's Bonecrusher, Hook, Springer, and Slag. Okay, oh, okay, Springer is in my heart. Can I just say, that? Be- <laughs> if he did Springer, that means he also voiced Keith from Voltron and Herc Armstrong from Inhumanoids. So the leader of Voltron and the leader of Inhumanoids. And Springer was the coolest character in Transformers Season 3. He's awesome. Anyway. Yeah, Springer's really cool. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> what just happened? Uh, I think we li- I think we stand the Green Goblin voice now. Yep. <laughs> we take it back. Uh, no, it's it fell flat, I think. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. I don't know why, but anyway. I, I think oh. it's that bias. It's that Willem Dafoe. It just, I, I wanted to hear that, like, uh, mm-hmm. like that, like, crazy, right, crazy. faux voice. Like, oh my goodness. And then, yeah, the Hobgoblin, too. Mark Hamill is a fantastic voice actor and totally embodied Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wanted some of that Willem Dafoe. That's some neat right. trick. Something, yeah, it just was yeah. weak. And I, I guess in a way, this episode was great, but I feel like in the end, it shortchanges Green Goblin by mm. putting him second and also giving him this weak voice. So mm. other than that, I think it was a great episode, but that that's my final take on it. Uh, G.I. Julie, what do you think? Of the whole episode in general? Yeah. It was good. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it for all of its, like, ridiculousness but also it wasn't as ridiculous as it could have been you know it was like believable ridiculous it was fun hmm. okay <laughs> uh, Josh, <laughs> oh no that's okay so josh what's your final take yeah i uh, i like this one it's probably my favorite of uh of the three that we watched uh super nostalgic for me watching this growing up so uh, yeah, it's a it, it's a good one. I totally agree. And uh, I guess with that, we're gonna jump to the next episode, which is titled. What was it titled? Or is it just titled Rocket Racer? Yeah, I think it's Rocket Racer. Yeah. Okay, so this character again is close to my heart. I love Rocket Racer. Um, so this episode, and again, I'm going from my faulty memory, but basically, what's Rocket Racer's real name? Here, let me just look it up here. Uh, Robbie. Robert? I think his name is Robert, yeah. Robert Racer. Okay. No, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robert no, Farrell. Uh, Robert they Farrell. Okay. Farrell's Grocery. Right. right. Yes. So Robert Farrell, oh boy, guys, help me out. But he's hanging out and he gets mixed up with the wrong crowd, right? And some people think that he's committed a crime, but he doesn't, right? Well, some people are robbing a bank nearby where he happens to be, which is right. weird. And uh, they mm-hmm. drop money 
and yes. he picks it up, but they have made their escape. And just as the cops get there, oh, a criminal named Big Wheel is some oh, in his gang. Yeah. Yes, so um, awesome. So he picks it up and is like, what's this? What's going on? And like the police obviously um, think that because he's black and holding money, um, in the middle of the scene of a bank robbery, he must be the culprit. So they haul his ass away to jail. You can continue now. <laughs> so basically, you know, yeah, like you said, his family owns like a grocery store and his mom he, and he he basically has this attitude like, well, if everyone thinks I'm a criminal or a thief, I might as well be a thief. And his mom is like, no son of mine, blah, blah, blah. And like gets him out of jail. And then he figures out he basically breaks into the headquarters of this big wheel organization, right? And mm-hmm. he steals their technology. Cause they've been using this big <laughs> wheel to rob banks. He steals like, there's basically a table with all this stuff on it and he throws it into a backpack and takes off. Then he goes home and he reworks it all to create his own costume. And he creates a kind of superhero costume uh, that's r- glorious red and yellow and he has like a magnetically powered skateboard that kind of floats, right? Kind of mm-hmm. like uh, Michael J. Fox in uh, Back to the Future Two. It's yep. awesome. And I don't remember what is he. What is his first thing that he does with it? I don't remember. Does he attack? The- he goes and uh, he's about to start robbing a jewelry store, but then yes. after like grabbing one of the the jewels, he kind of like has a change of heart and he's like, "What am I doing?" And he leaves it there and doesn't actually. Um, steal anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, I, of course, again, my memory is faulty. I don't remember what else happens, but in the end, he ends up teaming up with Spider-Man, right? That's all I remember. What ends up happening? Yeah, so he... Spider-Man chases him, and uh, he ends up getting away from Spider-Man. They do have uh, a fight, though, right? Yeah, he. it's more of like a chase, and then, like, he gets trapped underneath the elevator that's going down, and then Spidey saves him, and he like you know weasels his way out of the situation but then later on the big wheel gang is chasing him down uh, because they want the stolen technology back so the two of them team up to uh stop them right um and then they win the good guys win in the end they sure do (laughs) and yeah i uh again i thought this episode was great there's a lot of things like I like the updated design for Rocket Racer's costume, but, it, you know, it was still faithful to the comic, but it was updated, right? Mm-hmm. I love the Rocket Racer's power. I love that, you know, a lot of times in the 90s, the Marvel and DC comics skirted around real world issues, especially of race, and almost pretended they didn't exist. And I like the fact that the, you know, Rocket Racer in this show, at one point he says something like, what does he say? Something like, oh, a brother can't do this or whatever he says. But it's like, no, kids can handle this realism. They, they can handle real topics. The fact that, you know, um, the black people are treated differently by cops and treated differently mm-hmm. in a lot of uh, aspects of society. You know, like I just watched West Side Story. If this 1960s musicals can handle it, then a, a 90s cartoon can handle it, I think. So I really appreciated that. And, uh, you know... A new character, a different kind of character, a new kind of character for Peter Parker to interact with. So I thought this episode was, once again, they're on a streak here because this episode was really good. I thought it was great. Uh, (laughs) G.I. Julie, what did you think? 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but he was going to turn out to be what? No, it's nothing. It's funny. Okay. Sorry, let me come up to your level. Oh my god, I thought it was so cool. <laughs> There's black kids on roller skates and he was climbing a building yeah. using magnets. Woo! It was amazing. I honestly thought that Rocket Racer was going to be the villain of the piece. But well, when he good. turned out not to be and he turned it turned out that he was going to use science for good. Yes. I was excited. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because he at the beginning he was like, because um, in the in the cartoon we see that Peter is like teacher Peter, and Peter tells him, "Hey, use gyroscopes." And I bet you, you know, if you read a little bit more about gyroscopes, it'll help you with your project. And it turns out he like uh, Robert goes and he reads every single book on gyroscopes and is able to create this like bomb ass project. And then uh, Peter sees it, but then he's like. Uh, oh, I don't have time. I work in my mother's grocery store and I'm just going to be marked as a criminal my entire life. I don't have time for science. But then he thieves all of the technology from the big wheel gang and creates what they nicknamed the Rocket Raiders, which is just him Mm -hmm. and Peter. But (laughs) Spidey, I should say. Um, The news, does the news coin that? Like, they show them together on the news. And even Spider-Man's like, I guess I'm in a gang. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think it was, like, the newspaper, yeah. Cool, that's it. So, science wins in this episode, and any time science wins, we win. We so. win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. I'm trying to find the quote, like... I'm furiously scrolling and trying to find the quote that you're looking for while I talk. Well, uh, I'm just going to interject while you're looking for that. Again, one of Stan Lee's, you know, one of the things I love about 60s Marvel superheroes is almost all of them are scientists. Reed Richards, Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, Hank Pym, Tony Stark. They're all scientists, right? And I love Mm -hmm. that fact. And this episode with Rocket Racer... You know, with that little, it almost, I don't even know what it is, but that gyroscope little thingamabob thing that he has. I'm like, oh, this is great. If I saw this when I was a little kid, I, it would have made me want to be a scientist, right? Mm-hmm. But instead I was watching Inhumanoids. So, well, I became <laughs> nothing. But anyway, they were all scientists too. It wouldn't have helped. Um, Julie, did you find that? Uh, was it when he was talking to his mom? Where he's like, I know it was wrong, but since everyone thought I was a thief, we'd just seemed like the easiest way to help out was to become one for real. I think I so. just couldn't go through with it. I'm not a crook. And I guess I really am a scientist at heart. <laughs> so that yeah, great? perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, I remember reading about him in the comics. Sorry, Jolie, did you say? <sighs> There's another one. Just one more. Oh, yeah. Everyone wants me to get back into science. Cool. I'm with that. But this time... It's going to pay. And then he steals Uh all kinds of technology. But okay. You read? Uh, Yeah. Him in the comics, the story is not as powerful or like stuck with me as much as it did um, here in the show. Um, I think that he was like a perfect level of like kid sidekick for spider-man because it seems to be kind of like a theme that happens not just to spider-man but like a lot of superheroes like 
teaming up with kids who also want to be superheroes. Um, His costume is great. I love that he starts out like Spider-Man being a scientist. um, And he even becomes a superhero for the same reasons that Spider-Man becomes a superhero. He does it for money. Instead mm-hmm. of uh, being a wrestler, he's just going to go take some some jewels from the jewelry store mm-hmm. and pawn them off and get some cash to pay for his sick mother's medicine. Like it's it's all he's doing bad things for good reasons. Right. Um, and if that's like the making of a of a perfect superhero. Um, so, yeah, I really like his character in this. I love that he turns it around by the end. He, he's he's like a cool teen. I think even teens today would find this guy cool and rad on his hoverboard. Yeah. Yeah, this was a good episode. <laughs> oh, it was so it was almost believable, Josh. And anyway, no, <laughs> there is I yeah, the enthusiasm, spot mm. on. What about you, Mike? Well, I loved it. Okay. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love this voice. Actually, you know, we talked about Green Goblin's voice. I loved Rocket Racer's voice. It was great. Yeah. Oh. I think that maybe the dialogue was a little uh, adult writing a kid at times. Yeah, you could but, that. Yeah. but other than that, like, it's, I mean, it's hard to, to like, nitpick to that level in a, in a cartoon, but uh, it was good. I liked it. Right. Me too. So I guess that's another one we recommend, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess we are going to jump to our final episode this week, which is called Framed. And Josh, are you going to summarize this one? Because unfortunately, I don't think Uh, Jolie could summarize it. Yeah, sure. Okay. So this one is a little strange. So feel free to jump in whenever you want and help me out on the recap. Because a lot kind of... Yeah. Happens in the oh, sun. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Oh. Okay. So we start off this episode getting thrown like right into the middle of the story. Um, Peter Parker is in court and is being taken away to prison for some sort of crime. And yes. in the police cruiser, as they're taking him to the facility, um, the like police car lineup gets attacked by a helicopter and spider-man is breaks into the police van that he's in and kidnaps him and escapes in a helicopter um and we get kind of like a freeze frame moment as peter parker narrates like i guess you're wondering how i got into this situation (laughs) (laughs) We, we flash back to uh what's happened before and we learned that um, Peter Parker gets contacted by Richard Fisk, who is Kingpin's uh, son, who we all know as the Rose now, uh, <laughs> reading 80s comics. So it was great seeing him with a mullet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Definitely. the 90s. Uh, so Kingpin uh, offers him a job doing like data analysis and like just like transferring data like doing science things i don't really know exactly what it is it's i don't even think the show really knows he's doing some sort of data thing um and same thing you do right isn't that what you do data 
No. Yeah, I do some some sort of data. Data, yeah, some science. I, I clip okay. keys. Uh, so uh, he quits his job at the Daily Bugle because he's making lots of money now. Um, he we see him like burn some of this data onto a CD. Right. Um, and as he's leaving work. Uh, he is stopped by uh, this woman who's disguised as like a hot dog salesman and he quickly changes back into <laughs> his Spider-Man clothes and uh, gets away and as he's going to visit Aunt May he gets arrested because it turns out that that woman was an undercover cop and the data that he has on that CD is like uh, weapons information that he's leaking to other companies so he so essentially what's happened is uh, Peter Parker was hired as a setup, as like a fall man for right. the Kingpin and Richard Fisk. So they set him up as this person that's been like leaking all of this information and selling like weapons data to other countries or bad guys or whatever is going on. Um, so uh, that's kind of where we're at now. Um, yeah. I can't remember how he gets out. I can't how remember gets... how he... I can't remember how he escapes. Who? Peter? Oh, okay, I remember. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Uh so after uh he gets arrested by the police, uh it turns out that uh 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 Daredevil is his lawyer, Matt Murdock. Um, and, uh, so we kind of get like a little bit of introduction to his character and then we cut to him being kidnapped, uh, Peter Parker being kidnapped, uh, and they bring him to this facility and they pretty much tell him that, yeah, he was hired as the fall guy. Thanks for everything. And now we hired Chameleon to pretend to be Spider-Man. So now both Spider-Man and Peter Parker are guilty. And uh, we're going to kill you now, Peter. And everybody's going to hate Spider-Man for freeing this uh, villain. And uh, see you later. So they lock him in this like tube. Uh, that's only got so much oxygen, so he's going to soon suffocate. And it's built with extreme titanium, so it's unbreakable. Not even Spider-Man can break out of this. Right, right, right. Uh, Daredevil goes to the facility, beats, beats up a bunch of guys, and frees Peter Parker from the cell. Um, and Daredevil kind of, like, drops him off to his apartment. Tells him to, like, you know... Uh, Rest up a bit, but of course he doesn't. He dons his Spider-Man costume and he goes back to the facility to see what's going on. We get a recap of like Daredevil's, we get a, sorry, a flashback of Daredevil's origin um, uh, when he was like a, a kid and his dad was a boxer and he resorted to crime to, you know, put money on the table and uh he saw his dad committing a crime and like robbing a bank and being upset about it. He runs away and a truck full of acid. Well, well I think it's like radioactive waste, radioactive waste and it <laughs> blinds him. Uh, and his dad uh, finds out that it's actually Wilson Fisk. Who's like transporting this illegal substance through the city. So uh, his dad is murdered 
by Wilson Fisk off screen. And uh, yeah, so then we we now know that Daredevil's a good guy and his superhero origin. They both uh, start investigating uh, Fisk Tower and um, the the goons start like blowing up the place to try and like hide all of the evidence. And we're left with a cliffhanger while Spider-Man and Daredevil team up to escape this like burning building. Mm-hmm. I think right. that's it. I think that's how it ends. I'm trying to remember. The, yeah, they're they're enemies at first because Daredevil thinks that Spider-Man's a bad guy who kidnapped Peter Parker. Um, right. But obviously, uh, they get over their differences and they team up to fight these goons and escape the uh, the exploding building. But yeah, it's a it's another pretty good one. I don't think it's as strong in my opinion as the other ones. Maybe it's just because we only got half the story. Um, I do remember liking the second half as a kid. Like I remember liking the Spider-Man and Daredevil team up. Um, but I thought, yeah. see, I thought this episode was good. First of all, I got to give them props for starting off in the middle of a yeah, like a I guess and on Medius Res or whatever it's called in the middle of the story, and then you're probably wondering how I got here, and then they flash back. <laughs> okay, of course that's a cliche, but it's still by cartoon standard that's pretty experimental right that's not something mm-hmm. you see every day so i admire them for doing that um and then you're wondering some... how i was locked up for treason yeah <laughs> yeah like how did peter yeah. parker get mixed up in this treason's like a felony uh-huh. yeah. that's it's big anyway <laughs> but but also not not only is it told in the flashback there's also the added twist of how is Peter Parker being broken out of the van or whatever it's called by Spider-Man, right? Right. So it's an additional like what the F kind of moment. Um, And so there's those two things. And then the fact that Spider-Man mixes so well with Daredevil, I find, right? I just love in the comics when they team up, they are the perfect foils for each other because they're just left and right of like, the, the 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 I guess morality you could say like mm-hmm. they're you, you you're never quite sure who to side with but they both always have their point it's not two extreme points of view they're both just subtly off but so usually when superheroes fight it seems gratuitous but when these two argue it seems real to me and I think that worked in this episode once again though the only thing I didn't like in this episode was Daredevil's freaking voice i didn't like the choice yeah. at all for yeah this guy he sounded like an old man right like he had such a super deep voice um wow. <laughs> what this is the 90s yeah yeah so yeah well i mean edward Alpert was born in the 50s so he would have been almost like 40 well he was much older. old piece of shit no. <laughs> uh, no, I think the voice the voice was good. I just don't think that it matched Daredevil. Right. Like the not the at voice all. acting was not bad. No. Like it's not like it was like wooden or we like it was just it just didn't feel like it fit the tone of the Daredevil character in not the at age. All. Like it just wasn't an appropriate voice. Um Yeah. I'm just like this would have been a good voice for Blade. <laughs> Instead of whatever the yeah. heck Blade, remember how awful Blade's voice was? Yes. 
uh yeah i feel like this this voice fits that kind of like dark serious character it's like a super uh deep voice but because it's like smooth as well it's kind of has like a commanding presence which i don't feel from matt murdoch maybe maybe daredevil if he's putting like putting on a voice right and then if that voice actor did like a softer voice for matt murdoch but like i didn't i didn't buy that you know lawyer matt murdoch talking to peter parker would sound like that i i agree i totally agree um it was very like aggressive male porn star yeah (laughs) yeah you could say that and like apparently learning more about edward alpert though it's it's he he was like quote a serious actor that they asked to do a voice role so Mm. he had like one golden globe he was in a movie with like goldie hawn apparently um Hmm. in the 70s and like up until then had a very serious film career and went on to be uh the voice of our intrepid lawyer and also the red ranger in power rangers time force but Hmm. i don't want to say he fell from grace but it 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 was like he he's what I, I would imagine like a Ken doll would sound like. It wasn't like fitting. Hmm. Mm. Ken, yeah. Ken's dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it. too. Yeah. It was just like too deep, and uh, it was too much of like a presence, right? For for Matt Murdock, for sure. It's almost like they had a really cool voice and they wanted to throw it in somewhere, but they didn't know where to put it, mm. so they just randomly picked Daredevil. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, yeah. I didn't realize that Daredevil only appears in, I, I guess, this episode and the next one. That's it. Mm-hmm. Which is really unfortunate because I was looking forward to more Daredevil. But I thought he really worked. I mean, his character really worked in this episode. And overall, I thought this episode was pretty good. Also, I like the fact that... I can't remember. Has the Rose been in this yet? No. Wow. I don't believe so. Okay. So they're bringing in the rose. They've got the kingpin. Now, the other thing I didn't realize until this batch of episodes, I had no idea that the public did not know that the kingpin and Wilson Fisk were not the same person. I didn't realize they were playing the kingpin as like a secret identity. Did you guys know that? No. Yeah. I, I I thought that was the case. Even in the comics, they always talk about this kingpin figure that's like behind all of this crime but they don't know exactly who it is and but for some reason i thought that spider-man already knew that kingpin was behind it all because was he was he not in kingpin's headquarters fighting hobgoblin that's what i thought i don't know yeah i i thought that spider-man already knew so i was super confused as to why peter would even take a job with him right (laughs) like I, i was like what this doesn't make any sense uh huh. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I maybe I'm wrong and I'm mixing up uh, what we've been reading in the comics. But I thought that Peter already knew that Kingpin Wilson Fisk was the Kingpin. But yeah, I don't know. Hmm. That confused me. But otherwise, I thought this one was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie, you enjoyed it from what you saw. Yes, I did, including the part where he broke out. Of the van on his own the first time. Yeah. Uh-huh. So silly. Most of yeah. it was silly. 
Treason? I don't know. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does seem like a crazy crime to just hire this dude to fall on. Like, now, knowing, like, technology and stuff, you would know that he would have been hired on after all of this like data was put into their computer systems so it couldn't possibly have been peter but uh so yeah it seems like a really weird thing for him to go to prison for right Although, like there's no I, other in like he just had a cd in his hand right, right. i gotta get them props though i think it's a pretty interesting um twist to hire him for that job and mm-hmm. he thinks he's kind of like oh look at this i can finally quit the daily bugle and blah 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 but then he ends up getting framed for this crime so i thought that was cool especially for a cartoon right is exactly exactly yeah right um in yeah in the 90s it seemed yeah yeah it's it's good (laughs) i I have like i have obviously like small problems with it it's not a perfect story but Uh uh, as far as like 90s cartoons go it's really fun uh, especially ones based off of comics that were made to sell toys really like right that's what these ty- same with like transformers and gi joe like any any uh cartoon from like the 80s and 90s it's mostly for that purpose it's the merchandising it's yep. the it's the toys it's all of that stuff so the fact that on top of that there's like some pretty great stories going along with it uh it's really good it's super fun well okay i made this point on flea market fantasy last week where i was saying how like our generation we hold comic book creators on such a pedestal but Mm. those same people have no respect for the writers and artists of cartoons from the exact same era right Mm -hmm. so we can read and reread and put heap praise on certain 80s writers and artists but then those same people look down on like oh gi joe and transformers those were just (laughs) advertisements for toys and i I said to these people if you think spider-man comics are anything less than a commercial for toys you're dreaming like yes Mm -hmm. of course they're good and and we can hope that they're good but at the end of the day they don't make any money from the comic books they're just there as lost leaders for the toys and the merchandise and the t-shirts and the lunch boxes that's where they make their money so all it's like you just said josh everything like I, when i was a little kid i thought it was the reverse i thought oh there's a transformers cartoon oh look and now they've made a toy based on the cartoon how little mm-hmm. i knew it's the exact opposite the cartoon yep. is a commercial so and so is this cartoon yeah and i think if I'm not mistaken, J.M. DeMatteis actually had uh, quite a bit to do with the stories that were being told and what was like helping to write this show. I haven't so seen his he, name, but he, it's possible because he's yeah, done a I'm, lot of animation. So I, know I think that his name has come up before. Yeah, I know he's he's definitely a part of it. I think earlier on in the show, at least. Um, he was kind uh-huh. of there helping to translate it from comic to um, to to show. I don't okay. know if he was necessarily like writing the scripts every time, uh-huh. but he was definitely there um, during the process of the uh, uh, of the show. Okay. Okay. Mm. Uh, so, Jolie, anything else to say about this one? For me. 
Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. There's like a lot of other little things that like we could talk about, but I don't know that it's like totally worth it. Mm. So, okay. so no. Okay. Uh, Josh? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I think that um, this is a really great example of them translating uh, the, these types of stories to TV. Um, I think all three of these uh, episodes have pretty good themes, uh, great animation. Uh, uh, there's like some adult things happening in all three. Like they don't shy uh-huh. away just because it's a kid's cartoon made to sell toys like they they're they're not always pulling their punches um which is nice to see um it really feels like they're just telling a cool story and not a cool story for kids uh-huh so yeah i it's, agree uh, it's fun yeah i would definitely recommend this for people that are like interested in watching uh spider-man beyond the movies that we've got Right. I think and this kind of has has the the heart of Spider-Man and and the, the those types of like serious not necessarily serious all the time but like fun comic stories. I agree and uh again after a shaky season 2 I can once again see why this cartoon is so popular because this batch of episodes from season 3 are really good. Mm. So I think we all recommend these ones then. Yeah. It's a good batch. Uh, so yeah, we are going to be reviewing more episodes of the cartoon in the next year. So be sure to join us because we're not going to review every episode, but we are going to do a sort of uh, grab bag of episodes here and there, and we're going to make our way through the whole series. So stick with us for that. And next week, just so everybody knows, it's going to be a special one. Again, it's always a special one, right? <laughs> next week, we are going to review oh regular episodes or regular issues of the series. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 301 <laughs> with the return of um, Silver Sable. And uh, let me just Ooh. check my list here. And then also Web of Spider-Man. Uh, one second here. I want to get this open. Uh, Web of Spider-Man. Uh, 39, which features the origin of the man called Tombstone and Spectacular Spider-Man number 139. Wait a minute. No, I got that backward. Sorry, Spectacular Spider-Man is Tombstone and Web of Spider-Man is Retribution and it's a fill-in issue, but I'm sure it's still good. Yeah, last time we had a fill-in, it was pretty good. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So uh, I want to thank G.I. Julie for joining us. And hopefully Becca will be with us next week. And Josh, yeah. you can take it from here. Yeah, we want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. It really helps when you leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube or on our website, comicbooksyndicate.com. Uh, please let us know what you guys think about the comics and the TV show uh, that we're talking about. We want to keep that uh, com- conversation going. That's right. So until next week, see you later. Ah!